self-control. Our fleshy desires, scripture tells us, are continually at odds with God's spirit and always want to be in charge. Self-control is literally releasing our grip on the fleshy desires, choosing instead to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It is power focused in the right place. Question, are your fleshy desires controlling your life? Or are you allowing the Spirit to direct you to the things that please God and serve others? Join us today as Pastor Rex shares part 9, self-control when you don't feel like it. If we stay alert to signs of drifting, search our heart for deceitfulness, obey God's warnings, and consider the consequences of failure, we can grow in self-control. Hello and welcome today uh, to worship. You know, nine weeks ago, we started an interesting journey. We called it Growing Up in Christ, where we uh, have really been looking through these nine different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I I began nine weeks ago with two bold declarations. The first one was this, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Now, certainly every true Jesus follower could affirm that statement. You can say it with confidence. You can say it with deep and abiding conviction that Jesus is the hope of the world. He's not only changing your life, but for many of you, you've had the privilege of seeing the Lord Jesus change your family, the people you love the most, many friends, sometimes co-workers, and you've seen the difference that he can make. That was the first statement. But then I followed it with another statement that could be a bit more debatable. And that statement was, the world's best chance of meeting Jesus is in the local church. Now, there's a statement that might get a good deal of pushback, even among highly committed followers of Jesus Christ. Because we all know that sometimes we, we who make up the church, We're not always at our best, are we? And my goodness, if we're in advertisement for Jesus everywhere we go, and we are, by the way, those of you who name the name of Christ, newsflash, you advertise Jesus everywhere you go. It may be a wonderful advertisement, maybe not so good. Usually we're kind of a mixed bag, to be honest about it. But we represent him everywhere we go. And here's what we're discovering. As we've gone on this journey through these weeks, we're discovering, and I hope this message has been driven home, that you know what? Unless a high percentage of God's people in the church are truly walking in step of the Spirit, mature, and displaying the fruit of the Spirit, you know what? It's just a fact that the church may not be the world's best chance for meeting the one who is the hope of the world. So that's what God wants us to be. Obviously, that's what I passionately want for myself and for you. That's who God has called us to be, a church that so shows the fruit of the Spirit that we represent him well. Now, As we dive in today, we're looking at the last of these nine. We're wrapping up this series today, putting a big bow on the series as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is 
self-control. Now let me begin, begin with a question that I've thought about a good deal. Why does self-control come in last in this list? You know, some people contend that love is first in the list because love is the most important. And you might make some case for love being the most important of all. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you, if you love one another. We could make some case that love might be the most important. It's number one on the list. But is self-control the least important because it's the last? Well, I hope you're not thinking that way. Self-control is kind of the bow on the whole package. In fact, I've got a little hunch that maybe one of the reasons the Holy Spirit inspired self-control as the ninth in the list is because, look, all the things that tend to keep us from experiencing the other eight, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self, or up to self-control... All those things that battle us, we're not likely to overcome them unless we have the last one on the list, which is self-control. In fact, I want to put it to you straight. Without appropriate self-control, dear friends, you're going to really struggle in life. As a pastor, through decades now, I have listened literally to hundreds of people pour out their life story. And you know what I've found? Young and old Everybody in between, up and outers, down and outers, as I've listened to the stories of people, so many times that deepest pain in your life that has been the most debilitating came about in one way or another because of a lack of self-control. So today, I want us to dive in and see what we can learn about this. We've been looking at examples of people in the Bible in most of these studies, and today, I want us to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. It's a cinch to find if you're new to the Bible. It's the first book in the Bible. You can turn there, find chapter 4, and today, we look at the story of Cain and Abel. Now, Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve, the very first family. And although Cain is a horrible example, I'm convinced that we can learn some powerful positive lessons today from Cain's uh, bad example. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bible. We pick it up in chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now let's pause there a moment. You know, we're not exactly sure why God was so displeased with Cain's offering. There are a couple of main theories. One is that God had told him to bring his absolute, his very, very best. And even though the text says he brought crops from the first fruits of his harvest, 
maybe it wasn't his very best. And so God was displeased. I think a little more compelling argument may be that even though the text doesn't make this explicit, maybe God had specified that the offering was to be a blood offering, maybe as a powerful type or symbol of how he was going to atone for the sins of the world later. But Cain had failed to bring a blood sacrifice. We don't know for sure why God was so displeased. But here's what we know. Here's what we do know with absolute certainty. When Cain realized God was not pleased with him, he got angry with God. So if you're taking notes, here's the first helpful hint in getting a little bit more self-control, gaining a little momentum in this area in our lives. We should be alert. To put it differently, we should look for signs that we may be veering off course and getting out of the path God has for us. Now, as you drive the roads of the Capital District, no doubt you've discovered that especially on the interstates, but occasionally on other major thoroughfares, if you begin to drift out of the lane, what happens? You go over the line a little bit. When your tire gets over that line, often what you're going to hit is this corrugated section, right? And boy, you know when you've hit it. You may even be dozing off a little bit as you're driving, but when your tire hits that corrugated edge, what happens? Your car begins to shake, and it's kind of loud, so it wakes you up. It's a warning device. It's a safety mechanism to keep us from veering off course. And no matter what our track record is in the past, can I tell you something? As a follower of Jesus, you're always one step from the ditch. You really are. And so God says, I I want you to be alert. Be alert to signs that you may be drifting. I like the way the Apostle Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at what he says. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's a positive, powerful warning. Or look at how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So God says, look, we're prone to wander. We're prone to veer off. Plus, we have an enemy who's out to get us. We must learn to be alert. Now, think with me for a moment about the folks who come to your mind when you think of a lack of self-control. I I don't know what it might be. It, it, It might be physically. Maybe you think of someone who, through no glandular problem, totally through their own persistent choices, they've just let their body go to pot And they're just horribly, horribly out of shape physically. Or maybe, maybe you think of someone whose mouth is out of control. And uh, boy, maybe they not only speak negatively all the time in destructive words, maybe they curse all the time. Or maybe they're constantly just carping and critical. Or when you think of a lack of self-control, perhaps you think of someone who is in a financial mess. And boy, through choices they've made and choice after choice, they have allowed themselves to get in tremendous trouble financially. Or, or maybe, finally, just maybe you think of someone who's addicted to something. 
Maybe it's uh, alcohol abuse or maybe it's some sort of a drug and it, it has their life in an utter tailspin. Now, as you think about who comes to your mind when you think of a lack of self-control, what is the one common factor in all those scenarios and many others we could paint? Here it is. Here's what all of them have in common. Nobody got where they were overnight. As A.W. Tozer, the great Bible teacher and writer said, no man suddenly goes base. And he's absolutely right. We only get to that dismal place after we have gone and gone and gone. We've not been alert to the signs of drift. So there's the first lesson for us today. I like what Ephesians 4:26 says, "In your anger do not sin, do not the sun, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry." And what awesome advice that is for relationships, right? Deal with things quickly. Don't let things persist and fester. What great advice for married couples. Debbie and I used to frequently say to either married couples or premarital couples who were engaged, look, when you have conflict, deal with it right away. Deal with it before the sun even goes down, before you even go to bed. And it's awesome advice. I would give that advice to you in all of your relationships, but especially marriage. We've, we've tried to do that. Debbie and I have in our own marriage, tried to deal with things quickly for the most part. We, and not go to bed angry. We did stay up one time 17 days in a stretch at one point, but pretty much we've tried to deal with things uh, promptly. If you hold on to anger and flirt with bitterness, you're already beginning to drift off course. And I'm intrigued by verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? God was alert to what was going on in Cain, and he pointed it out to him. But Cain was apparently oblivious to the signs that he was veering off course. Cain should have been more alert. And if we want to walk in step with the Spirit, if we want the fruit of self-control, if we want to represent Jesus well, we should not be paranoid walking around every day thinking, oh my goodness, I'm about to fall. But no, we should have an appropriate alertness about us. Just be alert to the signs that we may be veering off a bit. The second encouragement I would give you today, right out of this story, is inspect your heart. Inspect your heart if you want to practice self-control. Here's why I say that. God was trying to get Cain to inspect his own heart. That's why he asked that poignant and probing question. Why are you angry, Cain? Now, if Cain was having an honest dialogue with God, he would say, well, I, I'm angry, God, because you like Abel's sacrifice better than mine. And if God said, well, why does it make you angry that I like his sacrifice better than yours? Because I want you to like mine best. Well, well, why, Cain? Why? And if Cain was being totally vulnerable, candid, honest with God, he would have finally had to admit, it's because I really want to be the center of the universe, God, not you. I am an incorrigibly selfish person who cares more about my own interests than I do about your will or certainly about 
my brother. That would have been honest. But it wasn't what Cain did. He wasn't willing to inspect his heart. Now, brothers and sisters, if we inspect our heart, we may be at times a bit shocked about what we see. Because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And unless we get to the root of some of the issues that spin us out of control, we'll never be able to gain self-control. James says in James chapter 1, do not literally merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But sometimes we can be ingenious, and I mean brilliant, at deceiving ourselves and not truly getting honest about what's in our heart. Verse 7 is a powerful verse. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, and if you mark in your Bible, I encourage you to underline this next phrase. This is one of those phrases that is just filled with meaning. It's a, quite a word picture. Sin is crouching at your door. If you mark in your Bible, would you underline or highlight that in some way? Sin is crouching at your door. Now, we're going to come back to verse 7 uh, in a little bit and look at the rest of it. But let me just pause there. I'll tell you, folks, little has changed in the millennia since this event occurred. Little has changed. I don't know how it is for you. But when I look at my neighborhood, when I look at my house, when I look at my office, when I look at my relationships, I want to tell you sin is truly crouching at the door. A moment ago, I said to you, don't be deceived. Remember, you're always one step away from the ditch. Well, uh, without making you paranoid and without trying to make this sermon too heavy, because I know it can tend to be that way with all these warnings and, and with Cain's horrible decision and all. But can I, can I tell you something that I know to be true of myself and of you? Brothers and sisters, you would be amazed, hear me now, you would be amazed at what you're capable of given the right timing and circumstances. Can we be that honest and real in church? Inspect your heart. And if you do, you'll see that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. If you get really honest about what's there, we have to say we would be amazed at what we're capable of given the right timing and set of circumstances. Have you ever seen that show, Animals, When Animals Attack? It's a show that just shows one story after another, often pets or zoo animals, and they just have been tranquil most of their lives. They've never been violent. But, but most of the stories center around an animal, a pet, that just goes wild, just goes violent. For instance, there's one where a family's getting together at a kind of family cookout, and Uncle Harry is there, and, and the pet lion, Mango, is there. Have you seen this? Pet lion, Mango, is there. They've raised Mango from when Mango was a little cub. And... Uh, Harry says something to Mango, and Mango snaps and goes off on him and attacks him. Later, the family is interviewed, and they said, we're, we're, we're shocked. 
I mean, we can't believe it. I mean, we've never seen anything like mango has never acted like that before. We don't understand why mango did this. Can I answer that question? It's because mango is a lion. <laughs> mango eats things for a living. That's what he does, all right? Why should this be shocking? You would be amazed at what you're capable of, given the right timing and circumstances. By the way, that's the reason we should never get all pompous and look down our noses toward people who've had a serious moral fall of some kind. You would be amazed at what you're capable of, given the right timing and set of circumstances. That's why we need divine intervention. That's why self-control is not a do-it-yourself religion kind of deal. It's not a pull myself up by my bootstraps. It requires God's intervention. We read in Galatians 5.17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. And have you seen this conflict alive in you? Boy, I have in me. Craig Massey put it like this, two natures, two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, one is blessed. One I love and one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. So let me ask you before we quickly move on, have you inspected your heart. You say, but pastor, I want self-control. I, I don't want him to fall into horrible problems. I don't want to spin out of control. <clears throat> Are you aware that sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you? It seems that Cain did not take that seriously. And so that leads us to our third step toward gaining some momentum in self-control, and that is heed God's warnings. See, here's the truth of the matter. God warns Cain that he's about to make a terrible mistake. And I would suggest to you that before you're about to lose self-control, you may doubt this, but I, I believe this is true, God almost always warns us in some way. Maybe a close friend comes up and expresses concern about your dependency on mood-altering medications. Maybe you start off toying with gambling. It's just fun. It's just a little diversion. But soon you find you can't quit. The stakes have to get higher and higher. It gives you an adrenaline rush that's like cocaine. And soon you find yourself bound in its grips, out of control. Or maybe you find there are times when your spouse forgives you and you go, whew, dodged a bullet there. Or your boss gives you a second chance and you go, whew, dodged a bullet there. No, you didn't. God's giving you a warning. God's saying, look, it's time to wake up. You don't understand what you're capable of, given the right timing and set of circumstances. God's saying, I'm giving you a wake-up call I want you to learn a powerful lesson here, the quick and easy way, not the difficult and painful way. It's interesting that Solomon paints a picture in the book of Proverbs that I've always found to be one of the most 
powerful word pictures of what a person without self-control is really like. Listen to how Solomon, the wisest who lived, put it. Proverbs 25, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now think about that for a moment. A city whose walls are broken down is a city without defense. You see, in that ancient world, almost all significant cities had a wall around them. Often the wall was pretty high, pretty thick. In fact, the higher the wall, the thicker the wall, the more security the citizens felt. But guess what? If your walls were broken down, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. You don't, you don't realize. It's not just a major attack you're vulnerable to. You're, mad, you're vulnerable even to minor attacks in the stealth of night under cover of darkness. What a powerful word picture. God says a man or a woman, a person without self-control is like a city whose wall, you've got no defense. You're just vulnerable. You are just going to be battered and broken. Self, lack of self-control is a horrible problem. Now notice in verse 7 again the specific warning that God brought to Cain. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And here's the part we did not read earlier. It desires to have you. And I'm so intrigued by this next phrase. I circled it in my Bible. But you must master it. What a phrase. You must master, what is it? Sin. We think, we think that's too much to ask, but God says it can be mastered. It, it is possible, but it's impossible on your own. It's only possible to live this life of self-control and integrity through God's empowerment. Several years ago when Ann Landers had her advice column in the newspapers all over the country, she was America's favorite advice columnist. And someone wrote to her, Dear Anne, I have a problem. I'm happily married to a wonderful woman. We have two children. But I've also been seeing another young lady for the past six months. My problem is that I love both of them. What should I do? And it's signed, confused. And then he adds, P.S., don't give me any of that morality stuff. And Landers responds, dear confused, the only difference between animals and humans is morality. I suggest you consult your local veterinarian. <laughs> In other words, you get rid of self-control. You start believing that God is actually more interested in your happiness than your holiness. You're one step away from the ditch, friend. You don't realize how close you are to spinning out of control. So I exhort you, brothers and sisters, I know I'm passionate about this, but I say to you from my heart, do you realize how high the stakes are when we don't practice self-control? So don't just overlook those binges on the business trip. 
Don't just wink your eye at those flings on the weekend or your struggle with addiction or your outburst of anger. The stakes are too high. Don't just say, ah, pastor, those are just things that are common in our culture. They're no big deal. They're so typical in our town, we shouldn't even be bothered by that. No. The Bible says they will master you. I wish sometimes that you could sit where I sit for just one week. It might change your perspective. And see the broken lives that parade across the horizon of life, in my view, the people with whom I talk, the folks where I listen to their brokenness. I wish for just one week you could do that and see how true this statement is that sin is crouching at your door and it wants to master you. And sadly, many, many people are mastered by sin. Cain ignored the warnings. He was not alert, and he did not inspect his heart. And look at the progression here of deception that is going on. I think it's prophetic of what can happen with us. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. You see, here's what goes on when we begin to spin out of control. We start practicing deception, not just with others, but with ourselves. We delete the internet pages that we've visited. We hide the bottle of pills. We begin to lie about where we were. We put the money in a separate bank account. And hopefully, nobody will discover the truth because we've carefully tried to cover our tracks. Cain's hidden hatred toward Abel could not be hidden long. It was unleashed, and he attacked and killed his own brother. (laughs) And then, with such a calloused heart, he had the nerve to treat it in a cavalier fashion. Verse 9 reads, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? That's where the phrase comes from, by the way. Am I my brother's keeper? And you know the answer to that? Yes, you are, if you care. Not just blood relatives, but anyone that you care about There comes with that compassion and that genuine care a sense, you know what? I am involved in their life. I am my sister's keeper. I am my brother's keeper. But Cain's heart was so hardened, he was willing to kill his brother and try to keep it from God. Well, the final tip here that I want to share out of this story is if we want to maintain self-control to represent the Lord well in our lives so that our lives will be some sort of reasonably honorable model of what God's character is, we need to ponder the consequences. Cain didn't think, apparently, about the consequences. But they were dire. Look at verse 10 and following. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now think of the consequences of this one violent, out-of-control act. Abel's line of descendants is cut off forever. Cain becomes this wandering, desperate vagabond living on the edge for the rest of his life. And oh my goodness, his parents. The tsunami of pain and devastation and grief that it brought in his parents' life, Adam and Eve, was immeasurable. And I just want to say it again. I know it's heavy. I know the sermon so far has seemed so dire, so straight, so brutal. I get it. But I just got to say it to you once more. The consequences we set in motion often with our out of control behavior, words, actions can be devastating. But in the few minutes we have left, can I turn a corner with you? Because we've been talking about this tsunami of pain, this, these horrible consequences, this deceptive drift that goes on when we begin to ignore the warning signs of being out of control. But I want to turn a corner. And for our final minutes here, I just want to quickly say that you know just the opposite is true as well. When we practice appropriate self-control, it's amazing what those God-honoring decisions can do. In fact, as we wrap up, let's think for just a moment about the ultimate example of self-control, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. You know he came on a rescue mission, right? You know he came to die so that my sins and yours could be forgiven. That's why he's here. That's the whole purpose of the mission. Satan tried to get him to abort that mission numerous times, but he kept choosing self-control. He had come on a mission. He was going to complete his mission. And then finally, toward his last days, just before the cross, he prayed in Gethsemane, Oh, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Again, again, he's practicing self-control. And when he's arrested by the Roman soldiers, he's mocked, beaten to within an inch of his life, bruised and battered, crown of thorns placed on his head, At any moment, listen to this, at any moment, he could have stopped practicing self-control. He could have aborted the mission at any moment. He said, I could have called 10,000 angels. Boy, they'd have come and cleaned house. But Jesus showed amazing self-control because of his love for you and me. And then there's that poignant moment when he's standing before Pontius Pilate, and in John 19, 10, he says, do you refuse to think to me, to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or crucify you? And that's when Jesus finally opens his mouth and he says, eyeball to eyeball with Pilate, you would have no power over me were it not given you from above. (laughs) Can I translate that for you? He said, Pilate, make no mistake, my friend. 
you are not taking my life from me. I am laying it down of my own accord. What amazing self-control. And he chose that. Can you handle this? He chose that because he loved you that much. He practiced self-control on your behalf. Now, you know, when you think about it, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. But when you think about it, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. And that's what Jesus Christ did for you. Now, if you've trekked through this series with us and you're thinking in your head right now, Pastor, I got to tell you, this is a tall order, friend. This is the tall order. I'm not sure I can practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If that's what you're thinking, then you've gotten it. You've gotten it. You can't. But he can through you. And he can make your life beautiful for him. I've shared with you before that one of my heroes from the past is the basketball coach, John Wooden. He died at the age of 99 several years ago with amazing records, 10 national championships. Many believe that will never be equaled or broken. Uh, One of the most amazing records to me that he holds uh, at UCLA where he coached is that for one nine-year stretch, it went on for nine years at March Madness, the NCAA basketball tournament, he had 38 victories in a row without a loss. And that record stretched on for about nine years. Years, Many believe the greatest coach who ever lived. But what many people don't know about Coach Wooden is that he was a mature, godly, filled with the Spirit, displayed the fruit of the Spirit about as beautifully as anyone you could ever meet. And he never got out of control. And a reporter asked him one time in in an interview, he said, Coach, uh, uh, people want to know, how do you keep control? Under the pressure of the game, when the calls aren't going your way and UCLA is behind in the score, you don't throw chairs. You don't stomp and spit. You don't curse your players or curse the coaches or the referees. How? How do you keep control? And Wooden said, well, I have the same emotions as every other coach. But he said, in my pocket, I keep a tiny silver cross. When I feel feel myself getting out of control... The game is becoming, my emotions are a little too intense. He said, I reach in my pocket and I hold on to that cross. And it reminds me that there's something more important than winning basketball games. The reporter said, oh, oh, I see. So it's sort of like a good luck charm. Coach Wooden said, oh, no, no, not at all. Now the cross reminds me of what is most important. Coach Wooden had discovered that on his own, he just didn't have what he needed. But it was only through Christ that he could show the fruit of the Spirit. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. But the world's best chance for meeting Jesus will not be necessarily in the local church. Unless, unless, one thing is true. Unless the majority 
of people who make up that local church are daily expressing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But when they are, look out. There's nothing more powerful than a church filled with people like that. It's all about more and better disciples. Father, thank you for the challenge you've given us as we're seeking to grow up in Christ. Thank you for the challenge of the fruit of the Spirit. And that it's something we can't pull off on our own. Thank you for that reminder. May we catch inspiration from believers like Coach Wooden and so many others among us who live this out so beautifully day after day. Father, may we never forget that sin is crouching at the door. It wants to master us. But through you, remind us again powerfully that you have already won the victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Will the ushers please come forward?